You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Good morning. Good morning. Or if you are listening to this in the afternoon, good afternoon. Or in the evening, good evening. If you are on the midnight shift doing something, I don't know what the term is for that. Tally-ho. I am not awake at that hour. That is, that is good night to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I'm responsible, it is. Yeah, but if I'm not, <laughs> I'll be. I'll still be playing Marvel Spider-Man Two on the PlayStation Five. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes, yeah. yes, that is out, isn't Pretty it? Good. Yeah. yeah, I platinumed and 100%ed it. Wow, in a couple days. That is impressive. It's. I am impressed. It's an impressive game. That is. To be expected from... Insomniac is... Yeah. Yeah. They're pretty good. Pros and cons? Mostly pros. Pretty good. With, I would assume, good things and good updates to come. But um, no one asked about this. This is a terrible way to start our 300th episode. <laughs> it's episode 300! Yeah! But that's it. You know, so that's part of the Christian life. It's just, you kind of, you roll through the uh, the big things here. How are things with you? It's been a minute. It has been. Yeah. Between the staff retreat and... Zach and Val having another baby. Yes. A baby Adia. Yes. Yeah, it's been been a while, but I'm fine. Mm, excellent. You know, doing well, just adjusting to the reality that now it is cold. Yeah. It's in this weird phase where I'm always like asking, you know, for like, oh, what's the temperature? Yeah. Helpful device that I'm speaking to, whatever it yeah. is. Oh, Amazon, iPhone, whatever. Right. And it's not usually a good answer. Mm. But then if you look at the forecast, it like, it gets okay by the end of the day. So it I'm does. Like, I have to pack two. I say this like it's a, a burden, but I just, I have to think ahead and pack like two separate ja- like yes. my cold morning it's literally freezing temperature jacket oh yes and the it's not quite warm enough to enjoy jacket later on yeah. it's interesting oh yes yes it is that time of year the last and... stranglehold of decent sunlight that's right it's like begging for i'm begging i am begging for more I'm like please don't yeah. go the sky please is don't still blue and pretty soon it won't be it'll just right. be a blanket of dystopian white that's, that is... it does feel like the winter the winter white sky it feels like we're we're stuck in a simulation. It does. You know what I mean? It's, it's like PlayStation 1 game <laughs> where you're looking out and it's like, "Oh no, the graphic card can't handle no, no, things no. beyond, you know. We can't have we can't have geometry in the sky. No. Zero textures on the sky. It's what, like, is this is Spider-Man 1. <laughs> I was going to make a Spider-Man 1 reference because you were talking about Spider-Man 2. Yes. And that's uh, a real throwback it there. It really is. What a classic. Wow. What mm. a classic indeed. Well, so anyway, yeah, I'm doing well and you are doing well. I'm doing really well. Yeah. Yeah, I um You were out and about recently too. <laughs> I, indeed, I was. Yes. I was in Missouri. Yes. Visiting Sophia and her family, meeting yes. her family for the first time. Wow. Which was really good. It went really well. Like That's good. I had hopes that it would go well. You would hope that it does. Nat- but, naturally, yeah. one would hope. <laughs> like, I hope this goes oh. awfully. <laughs> yeah, but it was it was like even better than I could have hoped for. So that was an incredible blessing. Yeah. <laughs> then I came back and got sick. So that was fun. Yeah. So it has been a while since we've been yes, since we have... we've convened in this room. <laughs> That's right. That's right. My youngest sister would say that all of the tea has been spilled. <laughs> Thank you. She literally texted me the other day and she's like, I have tea. And I was like, literally, I was like, well, what kind? Like, why are you telling me this? You have iced tea, Honestly, hot tea? With her, it could be anything. Yeah. It could truly be any yeah. of the above. Yeah. And she was like, no, like information to tell mm. you. And I was mm-hmm. like, that's why couldn't you have just said that? <laughs> why do you speak to me in riddles? Why you in dark parables of old? <laughs> now I know how the first century Jews felt when Jesus talked. <laughs> 
Sorry. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah. Well, we are on episode 300, by the way, everybody. We're just really grateful that a bunch of you keep listening. That's just really cool. What a gift. Yes. Yes. We're having a great time. And uh, for episode 300, one of our favorite themes to talk about is, of course, (laughs) as with everything we talk about to some degree, hopefully, is uh, the scriptures, the word of God, you know, come back to that again Mm -hmm. and again. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the major themes that we've regularly reinforced on the podcast is the Christ-centered nature of Scripture. Yeah. And so, you know, hopefully, episode 300, it's a reminder, this is a Christ-centered podcast. But when we're talking about Scripture in general, and we talk about it being Christ-centered or Christocentric, what we're saying is that we take Jesus at his own word when he says in places like Luke 24 that all of the Bible is about him. Or when he says in places like John 5, when he's speaking to the Pharisees, he says, you all search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And yet it is they that testify about me. Exactly. And you won't come to me that you may have life. Mm. So you've got out of Jesus's own mouth, the truth that all of scripture, including the Old Testament, is about him. Yeah. So the Old Testament is not sub-Christian scripture. It's not... It's not the first draft. Yeah, right? It's not like, oh, yeah, like that was try one and I mean, God's the, like, no, nah, try two. The way they act, it certainly feels like... Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> yes, it's like, you people cannot... Please. Like, I am begging you freaks. <laughs> Could you be normal for five minutes? So obviously all that said, it's pretty important to get this idea into our heads that all of the scripture ultimately is about Jesus. And so if Jesus is saying that all of God's word testifies to him, then one of the interpretive questions we ought to regularly be asking is, what does this passage teach me about Christ? Mm. Or how does it predict him? How does it foreshadow him? How does it prefigure him? How does it highlight him? How does it reveal him? Where does it reveal a need for him? You just, you go down the list, but it all comes back to Jesus, ideally. Like growing up in the faith, it could be easy to take this for granted. Like it is a very familiar idea that scriptures like point to Christ. And I I do think of that John 5 reference. Like that's what comes to mind. Mm -hmm. But despite the fact that I could easily take that for granted, like of course it foreshadows. It's easy sort of in our modern (laughs) context to say like, oh yeah, look how obvious this is. Look how obvious it's pointing towards Christ. But I think truly how far reaching this is, I think it could really be quite a task to discern. It is. I actually, interestingly enough, or maybe not interestingly enough, I say that phrase a lot and maybe people aren't (laughs) interested, but I just finished a rather thick book for my seminary studies called Preaching Christ from the Old Testament. And it's, you're talking like roughly 400 pages of (sighs) here are like the nine different ways and here are the 27 different questions we need to ask to, so you can get really, really deep into this. And so all this is to say is I think we've tried to drive that hermeneutical truth home quite a few times here on the podcast. And it's certainly something that I think is reflected in our sermons at the church. Mm -hmm. But there is a danger here. And funny enough, in our 300th episode, that's what I'm going to talk about. You know, we're going to we're going to discuss this (laughs) is that there is a danger if we allow this necessary reading strategy to become disproportionate. Right. And that's always the problem. Right. It's like good things out of proportion (laughs) become bad. Exactly. Yeah. So when I say there's a danger here, I mean that while the Bible is by Jesus's own words, Christocentric, it is not monochristic okay, or okay. Christomonic or, or Christ only, if we want to put it another way. It is all about Christ, but it is not 
only mm-hmm. <laughs> about Christ. It's about a lot of other things as well. And it might sound weird to put it in those terms. Like it's not only about Christ. Like you might be tempted to kind of like flinch and like, what? <laughs> you know, but you get what I'm yeah. driving at here initially. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a really helpful distinction because I think it just naturally sounds like, oh, monochristic. I think that naturally sounds very righteous and holy. Like, sure. Right. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Christ only, buddy. Come on. <laughs> what an elevated approach to expect of ourselves as we read scripture. But I also sense that like when you're approaching this, even with a healthy intent of looking for Christ within the scriptures, you could become like so hyper-focused with forcing connections over mm-hmm. the smallest fragments that you don't step away and, and realize how much it's actually saying. Like, yes, it is informed and leading to and pointing to Christ, but it is also instructing us in our daily life and, you know, in the, yes. in the here and now. There's, yes. And even like a historical reference that we, there's just so much that it is offering. It's right. complex. Right. Yes. Yes. There is no, uh, there's not a monolithic, perhaps is another good term yeah. to use, or way to read scripture. Like exactly. scripture itself does not support a monolithic reading. We even have like a variety of genres within our scripture yeah. that function in different ways to teach right. us. You know, right. like that's fascinating. Yes. Like I, for one, am so glad that there is a whole book of the Bible called the Psalms. It's literally 150 poem prayer songs. Yeah, you know, exactly. like that's right up there for me as opposed to like the long lists of genealogies that <laughs> right. God put them in there so they're important essential but it takes me a little more to in my weak nature to come around to that (laughs) yeah so all that is to say exactly to your point that we can say in the spirit of john 20 31 that the bible is primarily given so that we might know the triune god particularly as revealed in christ and believe in him right Mm -hmm. and with a belief that's not just demonic right like the you know like all the demons know that god is one and they have the decency to at least tremble at that fact the bible is about a great many other things and again just so we're clear that scripture reinforces this we're not just making this up paul says in romans 15 that everything written in it and he's referring to the old testament and obviously then that carries over to the new everything that was written in it was written one way or another for our instruction Mm. so that comes back to your kind of like oh hey not just what do we believe about god but how do we live Mm -hmm. and to that point he says in places like second timothy 3 the word of god was given so that we might be equipped for every good work Mm -hmm. right it's it's uh, interesting i was finishing up another book for seminary recently where the author was talking about the two primary rules for reading scripture are the rule of faith and the rule of love. And the rule of faith, if you boil it down, was had to do with our orthodoxy and what we believe. And then the rule of love has to do with orthopraxy and what we do. And those are the two bottom rules with which you should read the scriptures. And uh, again, I would argue that the, you know, definite article good work As Jesus himself once said, is to believe in him as the one sent by the Father in the power of the Spirit to redeem us from the curse, Mm -hmm. to make all things new, bring us back to God, etc. John 6, 29. But there are many other works we're to do once that has happened, and so we ought to read our Bibles accordingly. And I feel like that's fairly straightforward, but... What does it look like in practice? Okay. That's always the question, right? Mm. Is do you have any examples of what this looks like? And I thought it might be helpful to take a really perhaps easy one, a story mm. we're all familiar with, the story of David and Goliath. Okay. Because I think this story gives us a good lens for understanding how we both can read scripture Christocentrically, but not read them Christomonically or monochristically, however you want to frame that, and and read the story for other instruction as well. Yeah, I think that's interesting because this is definitely something that I would would look at as like a very character-driven story. Yeah. It's a story of these people. It's a story of 
like this moment in David's life. Right. Yeah. But clearly there's more context to uncover. Yes. Yes. So I'm guessing we don't need to read the whole story. I'm sure we're all familiar with the main contours. You know, you've got uh, in 1 Samuel 17, you got the Philistines at war with the Israelites. They send their great champion, Goliath, you know, his giant, literal giant out with all this heavy bronze armor and this spear that, you know, is basically as tall as a normal man or whatever. And uh, he's defying the armies, defying God, says, let's have a one-to-one combat here. If I win, you become our servants. If your guy wins, we become your servants. But no one's going to go out and fight this guy. There are no giants in Israel. It's the greatest play they could possibly offer. Yeah, you can't, like, the the Philistines are going to, you know, they're not going to lose a bunch of men. Goliath's going to kill whoever goes out to fight him. Yeah, it's like, hey, guys, we'll do a one-on-one to decide. And they send out, like, a freaking (laughs) metahuman. Like the likes of which have never like, are been you, seen. Since are you the descended Nephilim. from the Nephilim? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, so uh, no one wants to fight him. But then, of course, the little shepherd boy David shows up. Mm-hmm. He's here to check on his brothers, and he's like, "Well, I'm not going to let this uncircumcised Philistine get away with defying the armies and the God of Israel. Yeah. So I'll go fight him. So you know, he goes to a, a brook. He gathers five smooth stones, gets his sling, mm-hmm. and then. Of course, goes out to meet Goliath in one-on-one combat and slings the stone into his head, mm-hmm. takes the giant's own sword and lops his head off with it and bada-bing, bada-boom. What I find they interesting the day. in this, just now that we've laid it out, so I mean, familiar yeah. story. I've heard it right. hundreds of times. Oh, yeah. But like... So many people must have said, yeah, okay, David, go for it. Yeah. Well, Who would put their money on it, David? Well, it's, it's interesting because, I mean, even in that story, you remember King Saul is like, oh, you can wear my armor. Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> you're still going to put, you realize you're gambling the complete military loss yeah. on this child, mm-hmm. this yeah. shepherd boy. Yes. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> Who, uh, to be fair, it's like, oh, yeah, I've killed bears and lions, but like, Impressive. they're bears and lions. They're, they're not. Lions. Are they wearing bronze armor? Yeah. No, I don't think so, like, David. Is that, is that bear coming at you, you know, standing nine feet tall with a giant spear in his hand? No, I, I, think, I, so. I think not. I That's, think not. Wow. Yeah. So you got this great story in scripture mm-hmm. and then it comes up in the preaching calendar and <laughs> how are you going to preach it, right? Well, the typical way a story like this is interpreted slash preached is that we need to be like David. You know, trust in the Lord as we do battle with our own giants. Yeah. I think that's the most frequent yes. take on that story I've heard growing up. Yeah. The minute you said David and Goliath, like all of that just comes like flooding in like second nature. Like the attitudes yeah. of the people around him, which I recently commented on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, his response, the whole thing comes like fully formed. Yeah. Because our imagination is kind of soaked and steeped in it at this yeah, point. Exactly. Right? I even, I use that little image of Saul giving David his armor. And then of course, David is like, nah, I don't fit in this. This doesn't work for me. I use that image when I'm talking to people to say, what works for me may not work for you. Like my armor may not fit you. You need to figure out like even that image. I use that very some people would tend to say that's moralistic, but it's just it's just the image, yeah. right? Like you're using the image, by the way, New Testament authors do that all the time. They just like throw a scriptural <laughs> image in. It, it's not like yeah. it's necessarily like, oh, they want you to go back and like, yeah, it's you not know. necessarily the universal rule for all people at all times, but it's a helpful way. To, yeah, just like this is a good image. Yeah, look like at it's this just, pattern that yeah. should be familiar to you. Right, exactly. So anyway, back on track here. So all that is to say that's a legitimate way to read the text is to say, oh, like David here is an exemplar of faith in God, even though you're facing something that looks like it's going to destroy you. Mm. I mean, scripture commends all kinds of imitation. Like in the New Testament, you get Paul saying, imitate me as I imitate Christ, which is a 
you ever seen the memes of that where it's like you got this like beautiful drawing of a lion that's Jesus and then yeah. you got Paul imitating him. He's like, okay, it's not quite as beautiful and good, but like you mm. get the picture. It's a lion. And then that's me imitating Paul and it's like this ridiculous <laughs> stick figure lion that was drawn by a two-year-old, yes. you know, but you get that and then you get James, for example, holding up Elijah mm. as an example to follow or Abraham as an example to follow. So that is a legitimate way to read texts yeah. and preach them. It's like, here's an example. Like, yeah. follow it. You know? Exactly. It's totally fine. But it's not the only way we ought to take a text. One thing in particular with the Old Testament that I do, you know, to flip back on the other side of this is that if the only way you preach Old Testament texts is exemplary like that, you preach stories and then it's only examples mm. with no connection to Christ. It is interesting to me, like, oh, if you could preach a sermon and a good Jew or maybe even a good Muslim could, like, nod and then have no issues with it, you've not preached a Christian sermon. Interesting. Because you're, you're essentially, you're missing a dimension of what it's intended to. Yes. Hmm. Yeah. So that is to say, you flip all this back around. We understand the text Christocentrically, which means there's an angle to this passage where we should see David as foreshadowing Christ. So in this case, you know, without getting into all the details of how this works, but like we can lay it out basically, if we do it that way, we are the hapless Israelites who are staring down the giant of sin and death and the devil mm. and oh, we can't fight that guy. And we need a representative to go in our stead and take on that giant who in this case is Christ, oh, right? Who is the, the, the true and better David. And he, of course, then you look at Jesus, he looks undermatched, he dies. True. Like that's like, okay, you talk about underdog, like you literally, you backed God into a corner, so to speak. And then, of course, he triumphs over the grave by dying. He slays the giant with his own sword, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. That would be a Christocentric way to read it. And then, of course, after David defeats Goliath, the Israelites follow him mm -hmm. as he goes after the Philistines. And it's like, so that's what we do, too. We follow Christ as he's on the victory march. Okay. So you get that in a Christocentric reading and preaching yeah. of the text. Yeah, I really don't think you often hear that spelled out. I mean, that's, no. that's not a familiar, I think, like exposition on like, the David and Goliath tale, but I, I think it obviously seems like a very natural fit. Mm -hmm. My learned patterns of thought, like when you when you mentioned the story that they go to the simple, straightforward, prepackaged thing. But when you yeah. you know make these connections, I'm like, oh yeah, that does seem quite obvious. Like, mm -hmm. why did yes. I not do that before? <laughs> why did we not bring this up? <laughs> yeah. So you want to do that, but then you don't want to make it Christomonic. Yeah. So the idea would be there if all you're ever going to preach is okay, this figure foreshadows Jesus, like David foreshadows Jesus, and you just need to trust him. Again, you need to do that. Sure. But that's not all the text has to teach us. Yeah. So let's take another example. Let's twist it one more time. Let's just take the larger context of 1 Samuel. This story, in part, is meant to demonstrate to the reader how God is at work in the Davidic line to exercise his rule and reign over his people in lieu of Saul's faithlessness. I honestly wondered if there was like a Davidic line there. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, like, I mean, that's, that's a quite, huge, yeah. huge part of Israel's story. It's is, quite handy that that kind of prefiguring happens within that connection of lineage. Yes. So you're talking there about a canonical reading that says this helps us understand some of Israel's history. It helps us understand God's covenants. Right. Mm. You, so you start getting into that side of it. And then you could let's put one more twist on it. You could start talking about some of the psychological reading of it. And I use that term very carefully. Um, you know what I mean by that is you could read that text and do a sort of study on it on how let's consider how Saul psychologically led as the king of Israel. Oh. And you trace 
major keystone moments in his reign. Yeah. How often is fear driving his decisions? Yeah, his highlight reel is pretty dire. Pretty bad. <laughs> I mean, you go back to like when he's about to be made king, he's hiding in the baggage. The man, yeah, that's what I you think know? of. Yeah, you got that. He is the king who should go out in the one-on-one combat. He won't do it. He's willing to send a shepherd boy in his place. When David wins the battle for him, he's scared to death that, oh, the people are favoring him more than me. Mm. You just get all these things going on. That's a psychological, like, that's a helpful way to read a text yeah. and a legitimate way to read the text. Mm. Like, God didn't include those details just so you could read by them and be like, oh, yeah, that's in there for our instruction. Yeah. You could also stop there and touch on sins to confess, you know, like you could see David's older brothers being arrogant and and talking about like, hey, you know, like, do you look down on people that would come to your aid and you think, well, I'm, I'm above that. I don't need help. Mm. Like, really? Like, are you sure about that? That sounds like pride to me. You may need to confess that. So... All this to say, when we come to scripture, we ought to read it Christocentrically, but not monochristically or Christomonically. Again, Paul shows us that the commands about muzzling oxes ultimately contain principles about paying pastors fair wages for mm-hmm. crying in a bucket. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like that's <laughs> that's a legitimate way to read those commands. And this is yet one more reason that really edifying, nourishing reading of scripture requires meditation. Hmm. Like it requires the time to set aside and actually dwell on and think through the implications because there's just so much that God means to show us in his word to a point you made earlier. And uh, you can't exhaust the Bible. And that's why we also commend, you know, be reading it all the time. And, you know, it's like, oh, like I read, like I read all the Bible this year. Like maybe people are doing that for the first time. Like I read all the Bible, like great, but you're not done. Like read it again, you know, (laughs) because I've been reading the Bible now all the way through consistently for almost a decade. And to this day, I just yes, yesterday, I was reading something that I've read dozens, if not hundreds of times. And I was like, I had never noticed that. Yeah. And like, what are the implications of that? And oh my goodness, like, well, that, that connects to that and that connects to that. Yeah. You couldn't possibly hold it all in your head at once. And no. I mean, people far more scholarly than I are, are, are doing this and have been doing this for decades and still like pouring over. Yes. Right. We know. are still writing commentaries on single chapters of the Bible <laughs> thousands of years later. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. So, I mean, the church has been reading and pondering and praying the scriptures and preaching them for 2000 years. Mm. And so we're still discovering that this book is in the words of St. Augustine, ever ancient and ever new. Mm. And so one of the big keys to that is reading it Christocentrically, but not monochristically. So there you have it. Dig. Yep. Good stuff. Thanks as always for listening and joining us for our 300th episode. Yeah. If uh, you have any questions on this or any other topic, feel free to email us at podcast at horizonschurch.net. And if you want to leave us an honest five-star review to celebrate 300 episodes, that'd be cool. Super That'd be great. You don't have to, but It'd be great. You don't have to give a mono review. (laughs) No, thanks as always for listening. And here's to hopefully 300 more episodes and we'll catch you next time.